Yes, Honest Actors is back with brand new episodes every Friday. To help me continue releasing new episodes without a sponsor, or to say thanks for your favourite old ones, click the support link in the episode description. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. It's a one-off, feeling generous, good deed for the day sort of thing. Think of it as bumping into me and buying me a drink. To find out more, click the support link. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Uh, yeah, mine's a large red. I hate those guys. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. My name is Tom Riley and you're listening to the Honest Actors Podcast. Ta-da! Day three, episode four of series three of the Honest Actors Podcast, sponsored by Today Ticks. It doesn't get better than this. Four episodes in three days. Come on. Before I let you hear it, though, I have a favor to ask. Please leave a rating or a review on your podcast app. You can, you know, do that right now. The podcast will still be here when you come back. It makes all the difference in terms of getting the podcast out there, as does going on Twitter at Honest Actors and leaving your favorite bits. Hashtag best of honest actors. It's all good. Please do it. It'll take you 10 seconds. The other thing you can do is talk about it with your friends, actors and non. Uh, we have a lot of listeners who are in the music industry, in the film industry. It turns out that these issues are more universal than we first thought. So please do spread the good word and tell people about the podcast. If you want great offers on theatre tickets, access to day seats on your mobile and exclusive front row lotteries, well, you need Today Ticks. The ticketing app that lets you see theatre differently. To get tickets with no cues and no fuss, download Today Ticks now from the App Store and Google Play. If it seems like I just dropped this in because I forgot to put it in when I was doing the introduction, you'd be right, I did. What of it? So, episode four with Mr. Tom Riley. I recorded this one uh, at his home in October of this year, having met him on a job earlier this year, very briefly, and within minutes thought this guy would make a great interview for the podcast. And you know what? I was right, but more to his credit, he is brilliant. Uh, Tom, aside from being a quite wonderful actor, is very, very honest in this interview. Um, he also mentions the Purdy of the Weeks episode, which uh, if you haven't listened to Purdy's app, it's back in series one, I think. And uh, it was one of his favourites. So uh, you might want to go back and listen to that after this. But uh, loads of stuff in this, loads of odd chat about sitting on the toilet backwards. My apologies. But the good stuff is about Instagram, about anxiety um, and the attempt to work out between the two of us what the big lesson is what is the big lesson from this podcast and from acting so uh, I hope you enjoy this I certainly did here it is episode 4 Tom Riley enjoy so uh, first of all thank you for doing it of course um, 
It's been a long time coming around. Uh, thank you for also recommending Panoraisin. Uh, Is it Panoraisin? Panoraisin? Because I hate people who say pano chocolate, right? It yeah. does my tits in. Pano chocolat. Right, but what is the crack? Why is it okay to say pano raisin? Because French don't say raisin, right? I don't think it is okay. I think you've been um, you've been led down the wrong path. So there, how do one pronounce pano raisin? Pano raisin. <laughs> so when you're in <laughs> when you're in Jolene, do you go pano raisin? No, I go that one. Right. Okay. But then it's only, it's only been open like two weeks, so who knows? It's certainly worth, I think, looking into more. Probably in a different show, but um, this is not that show. Um, Thanks anyway for both things. Of course. Um, first question that I ask everyone is always the same, and subsequent questions are pretty much the same. I ask everyone in the interest of fairness. Um, but this is my favorite part of the podcast. After this, I have no interest. So yeah, if you answer this well, you just close I just, Yeah, totally. Okay. Uh, it is how did you get into acting? How did you become an actor? And I don't mean that in the grand sense of, you know, uh, the last two years of your training or whatever. I mean, from its very kind of beginnings, what what was it in you that brought you oh, to acting? Man. Um, it, that's a weird one. I've got like an aunt who claims that she's the inspiration for it all because I think she she wants <laughs> obviously a some, bone of contention. Yeah. Well, she like once did amateur dramatics in Stratford uh, or something, and like played Lady Macbeth for three nights somewhere in a town hall. There's no one else in my family, and no one is in the industry in any way, shape, or form. And I just have, and the story that sort of that's found its way into previous interviews has always been that I was watching a sooty show that came to like the local theatre, the Hazlitt Theatre. Have you told this story so many times it started to become folklorish to you and it doesn't even seem... Well, it doesn't, yeah, exactly. It's one of those things that I'm like, is that what happened? Because the the, the version of events is that I then went, you know what, I don't want to be here in the audience. I want to be up there with the puppets. And I just wonder if maybe... I actually looked up there and went, look, if that little bear, that little dog and that little panda can do it, then how hard can it be? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and now you're one of the puppets, how glorious. Yeah, thank you. Um, that's why there's so much squeaking in my yeah, performances. Yeah. It's all based on sweep. Uh, so, so it, I mean, there's a big leap from doing that to what you're doing now, right? So yeah. there, is, there is a certain, if that's the beginning of the legend, right? Yeah. There is more between the, then and now, and certainly a lot of it will be formal training, I guess, right, uh-huh. stuff like that. Yeah, um, but I avoided formal training for quite a long time. So w- how does that kid then, what do you, do you say to your, your parents, literally, I want to be, I want to be one of the puppets? And I they... think I want to, yeah, I want to, I want to do this. And then we found like a local drama club in my hometown. And then I, at school, wanted to put on plays. And, and I went to an all-boys school that was very anti-it. I was reminded time and time again that what you're doing is a girl's pursuit. And, and it literally became an actual girl's pursuit. I had to go to the girls' school in order to do theatre studies A-level because uh, and it literally, I, I remember having to... All of a sudden, all the guys in the school went, maybe this isn't such a bad idea. I mean, you think, but like, I was really pilloried for it. Like, I remember like sport PE teachers, like, me having to leave the PE class early or games to go down to the girls' school to Invicta and like, being publicly humiliated by the, by the PE teacher. Because like, oh, he's going to the girls' yeah. school. You know? And it was a teacher. Um, not, not, there's not to say there weren't some teachers there. I remember like, a lady called Eileen Lewis who was very supportive of, um, of what I wanted to do and what I wanted to pursue. I mean, was it, so, so here's the question. Was it as serious as it's what I want to pursue at that point? And uh, from, from, let's take the, you know, the, the, the scene of show as a kid, at that point, is it, I want to do this 
for for my living was there a concept of you of it being a job or did you just want to do it as like i'm going to do this acting stuff but i'm also going to do i'm going to study biology and chemistry and going you know i'm going to be a doctor but i like i like acting no i think much more vocational i think it was far more i want to do i want to be an actor i remember that very clearly from like 10 or 11 and i was joining amateur dramatic societies in my little town where all they were all 60 and 70 year olds putting on a production of the Winslow boy and I was like the 11 year old who came to play the Winslow boy with a bunch of adults and and then yeah I'd like I'd just do it at school as much as I could and I'd write the school pantomimes and and it was it was a way of like see that's that's impressive but it was honestly a way of escaping being bullied like that that's what I remember very clearly was it, uh, it, what I was interested in was very much frowned on. Like the idea of being... So it was a way of avoiding being bullied? It was a way of saying, well, look, if I can be creative and do something that these other people can't and can somehow bring people in to watch and enjoy, then that's going to scratch the popularity itch that is missing elsewhere from not being able to be great at football or rugby or any of the other things that I would fail at miserably. Yeah, but there. I suppose there's more successful ways of not being bullied as a kid than going to the girls' school to do drama, right? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah, the, yeah. I mean, there are other is, strategies. I wasn't you know. good at any of them. Okay, like this was something that, but and not only that, but I felt when I was creating stuff, I felt, I just felt like I was scratching an artistic itch that made me forget the other shit. So no one in your family, no. had previously done this. Did no. anybody? Did you know of anybody who had an actor in the family? No. So it was like. Was there any musicians, you know, anybody professionally engaged in anything no, creative? Nothing. So how did your parents feel about it? Was there a sense that they were slightly concerned that this was, uh, you were hiding the nothing, that you were kind of pursuing this and it was going to go nowhere? Or were they pleased that you had this? Or like, what was their position? I think their lack of understanding of it and the fact that there wasn't anyone in their immediate circle or even their extended circle is what, is, is really what, stop them saying don't do it because they weren't aware that it was a life of potential rejection and a life of disappointment and not getting what you wanted. They were like, oh, well, this seems easy enough. I've watched television. That's what he wants to do. Okay. So if you'd asked your parents at that, at that point in their lives, who were the actors? Like, who were the actors they thought were good and oh, you as a, a kid question. thought were good? Um, Helen Mirren. I mean, they, they so like at that prime, age, prime suspects. Right, so at that age, were you also thinking Hel- that Helen Mirren's good? Or, or who were your favourite actors as an 11-year-old aspiring oh, wow. performer? Oh, that's a good question. I can't... I mean... It's a, it's a hard one to put you in It is a hard one, with, but right? it's things like... I remember um, It's a Wonderful Life when I was very young, watching, well, that's, watching that's um, pretty, Jimmy Stewart. It's pretty cultured, man. Yeah. I mean, it was that or Tom Hanks and Big. So, so you go from uh, your school, you go out into the world mm-hmm. at, say, 16, 18, whatever. Do you yeah. go to university at that point? Yeah, I went to university. And I guess that was probably the first time I, what you're saying about um, parents being wary is that I went to go univer- to university because I just didn't know how to get into the industry. I had no, there was no, I, and I didn't feel like if I went to drama school, it was a done deal. We didn't have any money to pay for drama school. It seemed like a prohibitively expensive thing to do. Um, and uh, so, yeah, we, so, we, so I went to uni to do English with that, like, I'll be a teacher, maybe, as a backup. Mm-hmm. Um, but then again there, I just spent the whole time, like, directing and writing plays. And... So directing and writing is a theme here as well, because there's the panto, first of all, then there's the directing and writing at university. I also had, like, a radio show that I wrote four times a week full of so, sketches and stuff. So how come 
is it just that opportunity knocked first with acting that you, you that that became what you did, or was there a point in in that process where you went? These I really enjoy all of this, but the thing that I really love, the thing that keeps me kind of striving to be better or do more, or the thing I want, they have was acting. Um, yeah, I think. It was probably, it was also probably the only thing that I could see, excuse me, it was probably the only thing I could see as a way to, that there was an obvious way into. Like going to drama school meant that that was the next step. It mm. seemed to make the most sense and it was something I loved doing. I got the biggest kick out of it and I'd made my best friends through it at university. And so it felt like the logical next step was drama school, which would also potentially give a platform that I wouldn't have otherwise. I didn't, I didn't even know about film school or any, like, it just didn't occur to me as an option. And I think I was talking about this the other day. I didn't know drama school existed until I was in like third year of university. Yeah. Like you're probably that similar. Like it wasn't as simple as going online and going, no. how do you be an actor? No, you had to like, like fill YouTube. in forms and, yeah. you know. Go to your local library, get, get a book out. My understanding was because a third year when I was in the first year got into RADA and he had a big beard. And like, there was all this talk, like you don't get into drums class, you can grow a beard. Like it's really important that you grow a beard. And that was my, and I, I Thankfully was, those days are gone. <laughs> I know, but that urban legend was like, gee, if I, I hope I can grow a beard by the third year or I'm screwed. It made it so hard for women as well. That's one of the reasons yeah, I know, why the right? industry was- Why it's so poorly weighted. Yeah, exactly. Because of their smooth, smooth um, chins. Smooth chins. Uh, so, drama school? Mm-hmm, Lambda. So you came out of drama school, mm-hmm. and do you remember the first job you did? First yeah, I was, I was, I had a kind of slightly, a, it was a strange first job, because, and it was a, like, there's a lot of, there's a, I mean, there is a thing about drama school that's really interesting, because it really, it, there is a moment in my career that I, or in my life, that I think everything stems from, which was that in the, in the second year, um, Mark Ravenhill came to like do a verbatim piece like he did that um, Molly Clap uh, the Molly Clap I can't remember what the name of the show was at the National that he did but that came out of the same system and it was a verbatim piece where we had to go and interview people and I got to interview a guy who was um, the PR for the Millennium Dome it was all about the Millennium Dome and this guy was such a character he was like full of secrets about labor and you know you know like let me tell you a secret tony blair sat on the toilet back to front that's not true that's not what he said but it was that kind of stuff and i remember in that moment thinking i've done that yeah of course well in you a know. dressing gun yeah yeah well, <laughs> that's a i think you've just cracked the code I mean, I'm, uh, that is, That's if really I'm smart. in the full length dress and going, there's no other way. I mean, I just dropped the rope. Anyway, so. Um, so, yeah, so I met this guy and like, and it was because someone else couldn't make it to meet this guy. Another guy in my year was sick. And so I got to go and meet the guy. And when I brought that guy back into the room, Mark was like, that's the guy. He's going to be the center of my next play. And that was the play that changed everything. And it was, I honestly think because that guy had been sick the day that he got to interview this guy was where. I got to meet. So this is glorious because this is one of those moments where the question that begs asking is how important is luck and how important is talent? Like that is one of those moments where, where you think like if that hadn't happened on that day, yeah, would everything have been different? Do you think? Or, or well, then it led to another bit of luck. Like I, I honestly think everything that's happened to me is luck. Like I, 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 I speak, I saw an interview with an actress recently where she they were saying you know how did how did this happen to you and she was just like well i worked hard and i'm incredibly talented and and you know and, and people really recognize my talent and i was just like how do you not 
Like, yes, you are definitely incredibly talented, but how do you not realize that there had to be a confluence of circumstances for you to get that talent seen? Because there are a lot of talented people out there that never it, get so many. Day. And there are very untalented people who do get their breaks. Like yeah. it happens both ways. Yeah. And for me, I then was, was uh, auditioned for a play at the Royal Court when I was still at Lambda. And uh, then Lambda made a thing about me doing it and wouldn't let me leave. And we're like, you have to finish your third year or at least do one production in your third year in order to graduate. But um, Jesus Christ, that's like most people tell that story and they go. And then so this college basically said it was OK for me to graduate. And I used the show as my third year show. Well, it was something I was in the middle of rehearsals. And it was I think it was very much a lesson about you walk out of a contract. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You don't want to You don't want to drop out of all these all your, you know, all the people who are You're around committed. you. And and that was a good lesson. It would like to be fair. However, the person who did then get the part was he left the, he, I'll just say he left the performance, he left the show the night of the, the first night of the tech, Nicole rehearsal. And then the director came back and said, could you come Nicole. in and do it? And I had to, I then, I then completed enough of the year for Lambda to say, okay, go. So I went and was at the Royal Court a week later in my first That's not bad. production, which was amazing. I've like, no a lot in this podcast. That's not a bad start. It's not a bad start. Like, you, know, you wonder, how did that person end up doing that? How did that career end up that way? And quite often it begins with, I got cast before I left drama school or I got come out of drama school and went straight into something like... But that was luck again. Like, you know, if that guy had pulled it off in the, when they moved into the bigger space, then like, it wouldn't, like, this would never have happened. Like it was the fact that he didn't, and for whatever reason, he was he moved on. So, what I wanted to ask was for people who may not know all of your work, and I think that's for most people. Like you know, there are people who might know you for certain things and won't know, for example, that you did a lot of theatre or whatever. Right? I always say, um, if you could pick a couple of pieces of work, I used to say one, and I find people find that incredibly unfair. Mm-hmm. I would too. If you could pick a couple of pieces of work to say, this is the kind of actor I am, if if that's what it is, or maybe even this is the kind of stuff that I love doing, or these jobs are the two jobs that I'm most proud of, or whatever. And I know it's difficult because this things these things are always politicized. Like, oh, I can't not mention. So, as a kind of get out of jail, it's not necessarily the best things. It's just two things that stand out for you. Okay, that's it's like I can say it without any guilt about other things as well because the, these things for me were. And I can really think of one particularly, and I'm sure the other one will be, you know, there are a lot on a, a similar level, but for me it was Arcadia, doing the play Arcadia in New York, um, which wasn't the, 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 it wasn't the best reviewed and it wasn't even the best populated, the audience, because, um, you know, like you're trying to put on something highfalutin in, on Broadway and people have gone to the tickets booth and hope for Mamma Mia and they show up and have to learn about Fermat's last theorem within the first 10 minutes of like, you saw lots of like Americans in the front row go, what is this? And like leave, literally just go and throw their hands up. Um, Brilliant. But for me, it was just like everything about it was... You suck! Yeah, but it also, it beat the curse that I find in theatre a lot, which is that you, you get bored after however many weeks that you've said the same thing because the play's so rich that I just every night was going, oh, that's new. Oh, hold on. Like even in the final few performances, we were going, oh, this is what it's about after 16 weeks. So that was for me, that's my moment that I loved the most. I've done. Not bad. And I feel the proudest of. Not bad. Uh, I don't think most people who are listening will have seen that or been aware of that. So okay, that's so it needs to be something. That no, no, that's, no, that's good. Okay. 
because it's useful because it exactly proves the point of the question, which is like, you know... You if you go to the New York Public Library, you can watch a video of it. Can you? Apparently, they is record good, all I mean, of them. Have you ever watched yourself on, on a stage? stage? Video? No. I have. Is it bad? <sighs> Just, <laughs> like, stuff annoys you. Like, why am I walking like that? And then I realise it's because that's actually my walk. And then I start... Like, that's why I walk. Are you going to say you no start trying to change your walk? Why has no one told me that I walk like that? So you've never seen yourself on stage? No. No. Do you watch yourself on your own telly? Uh, yeah, I do. I mean, not, not the entirety of things, but I will. I'll, I'll dip in and out. Yeah, because you're not in every scene. So you'll just scan through the bits of other people. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, just, I mean, that's what the fast forward button's for, right? Um, no, I, I, t- I can't watch it when we're doing it. Like, if it's still going, I won't, I won't touch it because not that What I do you mean? So, like, if you know another series, it sets one series? No, if it's another series. Actually, that's not true as well. I've done stuff where I have watched the first series and then thought I need to change for the second, and it's been a gigantic mistake to try and clean up what you were doing instinctually in the first time round and go, like, oh, I need to make this better. Or also you become more aware of certain things that work. Yeah, you do, and then you lean into the things that work, and they stop working because you're just like suddenly you're trying it's to. Like when you get a laugh line, yeah. this line's funny, and that's then exactly it. it. Well, that's exactly like I, I'm. I was always like that. I had. A, I remember that for that play we were just talking about the Royal Court. I had a one line that would kill one night, and then the next night would be flat as a pancake because I would be backstage before going like, "How did I do it last night? Do exactly do the you, same. Do exactly the same." Do you read reviews? Yes. During. Like yes. still running yeah does that have the same effect yeah it kills me it's i'm like completely it's self-flagellating i don't know why i do it yeah i i think it's a control thing as well i don't like the idea that i might be in a giant flop and i don't know like i you know yeah, I, but it's I, also nice to know if people are saying stuff about you in a public forum like it, it, it would take a certain amount of some kind of strength and resolve to know things are being said about you, but not want to know what it is. Like, I think it's a natural human thing. If people are talking about you, yeah. if your name's mentioned at a party, you yeah, go, you, so what, what are you saying? Yeah. And I think the same thing, for me, it's the same thing about reviews or anything like that. You're just going, the occasional ego search on Google is yeah. it's just going like, what is out there? Yeah, but then, you know, you find something bad, so you search for something better, and then that's worse, and it just, it's a, but one thing I will say is that they don't affect me like they used to. Like, they, I used to spiral really badly from them. And I don't so much anymore. I'm just Why like, oh. is that? Because I think you see the array of opinions. And I remember I, I got the worst review of my life uh, from A.A. Gill uh, many years ago. And he, it was a, obviously a very eloquent and witty, snarky paragraph that I had memorized for like a year because it cut me to the core because it was brutal. And I'd stumbled upon that. Like that was an... an, an an actress that I'd worked with had tweeted it saying, this made me laugh, ha, 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 knowing that I followed her. And I was like, oh, I wonder what that is. It was a, a takedown of me. Um, and she may have been talking about other elements of the that week's TV review, but for whatever reason, that's that's what I found. And Man. But then I then went on to get lovely responses from other people. And I ended up putting both that terrible, terrible, awful review next to the accolades that had come by. And, you know, and just like, Realize none of that shit matters. It just doesn't like it's completely and utterly subjective, and that kind of it chilled me out a bit. Have you ever been given uh, advice by other actors that stuck with you, relating relation to stuff like that, or other things that have kind of helped you smooth your way, smooth your path? Um, I mean, I definitely have. Let me think. 
Uh, as far as, I mean, they've given me like, I've had acting advice that is, has really stuck with me. Um, Do tell. Only that the idea that you, I, I got very caught up in, and I think that if you don't go to drama school, you kind of, you, you get, you miss this stage of it where it's really important to feel something when you act. You have to, you have to feel it because then it's not real and the audience will tell. And I used to really believe that and it would kill me at the end of the day's work that like I'd done something where I didn't feel truly emotional. And someone said to me, the audience would always rather watch a dry fuck than a wet wank. Like the idea that you are self-indulgently just doing it for yourself and it felt so important to you. They don't care. Like the, the, they, they can't see the inner turmoil necessarily, especially if the camera angle is not helping you or they're miles away in a theater. But if they're seeing the elements of what looks like a far more exciting combination of events, they, um, they'll, so I, basically it means I don't, I, if I don't get there internally at the end of the day, it won't ruin my night in the same way it used to. Interesting. Um, you obviously to get jobs, um, and it applies to everybody in the industry. This is the glorious thing about it. I think everyone thinks that you get this certain point in the industry and you stop having to do castings or you stop having to put yourself on tape. Mm -hmm. You stop. Like at some point, everybody just gets offers. And of course, those things become more common for stuff probably that you don't want to do. Mm -hmm. But like the stuff you really want to do, most people have to put themselves on tape yeah. or, or audition. Do yeah. you find that you like that process more or less than you used to? Do you find that your relationship to that process has changed over time? I hate auditions. Always have? Always have. Always have. And, and so I was listening to our mutual friend Purdy Weeks on this yeah. podcast, and her immediate answer to that was, yeah, I love them. And I was, I, was, I, was, I, was on a, I was on a walk, and I, like, took my headphones out and threw them on the ground. I was like, what? Like, I, 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 like, I... I love her interview. Actually. She's 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 the best. But like it was she's doing really well as well. She is. Um, she's like, but she 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 really gets a kick out of the fact that that's a chance to go in and act. But I don't. I don't get that. Logic. I don't get that at all because there is only one stage in an audition process that I like that I actually look forward to, and that is the the and these don't always happen. But it's like the chemistry test at the end, or like the test with another actor, where you're actually going to go in and work with another actor on camera, and it's you get to react to whatever they're giving you, and then you're therefore better. I always suffer from, and and it really does. I think it's bitten me in it ass countless times. Is that I, if a casting director is not giving it, or is tired, or has like not really knows the lines, or I, I react to that like I'm in a scene with that person, and so I just can't. I just dial down anything interesting, and I'm awkward. And like the minute I get someone who's great, then I oh oh okay, it's that sort of thing. But I always prep for the worst. I go in sweaty palmed. I, I I never give the best. I don't give the best version of myself in the room for sure. I, I go in like going, "Hello, how is everyone? God, weather was really bad outside, isn't it?" You know that sort of bullshit small talk they must hear a hundred times. Whereas the people who seem See, to do really well in auditions can just go in and give their personality and leave. There's a lot of campaigns at the minute in our industry, and some are uh, obviously wittier than others. I have seen in the past few interviews I've done the possible emergence of a campaign. That would be, I think, a no-brainer for most actors. And it's the, 
stop hashtag stop the chit chat right? right or something along those lines you just don't have any well i mean the, the, oh, there's so many things that go into it because casting offices are completely different wherever you go and there can be in america that's what they do there is no chit chat you sort of sit outside no hugging no there's kissing no, there's no hugging there's no kissing they just come in do it go and there's usually 30 people of you outside 30 of you outside but that's fine if you're in a situation where you can't hear through the door you don't know what's happening ahead of ah. you, which, or you're not sat, because you, it's the same thing. You might be having to have small talk with the actor sat next to you, which is the same kind of slightly knocking you off balance before you go in and perform. Like the ideal, the ideal situation was everyone's put in an individual room, an individual soundproof room, and you just file into the casting room, sit down, do it, and leave. But that's never going to happen. But it's, but that makes it whatever works for you. Like everything, everything's different for everybody. So some people might be put at ease with by that chat. You know, that might actually be their thing. It's what I would like, what I what, what my hashtag campaign would be, is being told before this, we're going to do this twice, or we're going to do this three times. So the first time, let's just have a go, then we'll give you some notes, and then we'll do it. I always struggle with the idea of like, is this going to be the only version I do? Like, am I going to read and leave? Because if I am, do, how should, what's the exact, I have to hit every note and every line and get it right. And that's certainly the case in America. It's like, come in, sit down, do it, bye. And then you leave going, but I didn't, I, uh, uh, which, you know. I think that's great. Yeah. Buy tickets to the best theatre in London the new way. With the Today Ticks app, getting great offers and access to exclusive tickets has never been easier. With Today Ticks Rush, you won't have to queue at the box office for hours to get day seats like some lunatic. You can have access to big savings with their lotteries. What else can you do with Today Ticks? Let's have a little look-see. What am I going to look for today? I'm going to look at uh, family shows. That's it, family shows. Let me see. Let's see. I've got my nieces and nephews over visiting from Belfast. I could take them to Wicked from 22 quid, Matilda from 30 quid, Rumpelstiltskin from 18. It just, I mean, Simon Callow's Christmas Carol comes up again, 33. I mean, is he paying extra for that? I don't know. Anyway, lots of good stuff via the Today Ticks app. Download it today, the theatre ticket app, Today Ticks, from the App Store and Google Play to, all together now, see theatre differently. How long does it take you to do a self-tip? Uh, half an hour to an hour. But that includes, like, setting it up, obsessing over, like, oh, the lighting's wrong, I look old, and this is, why, why am I, oh, this is bullshit, this whole thing's nonsense. Well, that's the first stage. Second stage is like, I'm going to kill this. I'm so right for this. Third stage is like, one scene in, didn't quite come out of my mouth the way I thought it was going to be. I am fucking terrible and I'm not right for this. Why are they even seeing me? I can't play this part. It's ridiculous to like, hey, I think I might have got this to I don't know which tape to pick. What's the point? I'm not going to edit this to, okay, I'm going to send it. That's pretty good. I've discovered our dog thinks I'm a terrible actor. Because <laughs> usually about halfway through a scene, the dog will be on the yeah. sofa and go, oh. yeah. <laughs> you're like, all right, well, Everyone can hear that, so I'm going to have to start again. Yeah. My dog going, comes, into really the, well. comes into the scene. We'll just like put her paw on my knee as if to say, you've done enough. Yeah. <laughs> That's, it's not working for you. Yes, I don't know. Self-tips, I, I'm quite pleased that self-tips are like taken off because mm-hmm. I'm not very good with people. It's uh, true. <laughs> Although I've been on the other side of self-tapes where I've like been in rooms for shows where I'm cast and they're picking other people. Mm-hmm. And I've been like shaken by the lack of not respect although you could say that but the lack of concentration they're given 
it's very... That, self-tips? Yeah, when they watch self-tapes. People going like, okay, so who have we got? We've got these four or five people that are possible. Because they can talk over it. With they can talk over yeah, it. And yeah, I like, I and like the first one, they'll start talking and they'll go, yeah, I like the way she, yeah, she looks. And I'm like, she's, at, she's acting now. Like, well, you're just talking over what she looks, talking about what she looks like. Mm. And then they'll get at the end of like the first take and be like, okay, cool, next one. And won't have watched all three, ta- all three different scenes. That's interesting. And that makes me go, Gee, you know, when I come to putting one together, I'm like, do I put the best scene first? Like, the, it's, you try and second guess. But then I'm sure there are people who really do sit down religiously and, and make sure that they sit through everything. But my experience of being on the other side is watching them. I like the score, it. man. Do you? Yeah. Yeah. Someone's a, there's a cellist lives next door. Someone's a hire her to come in and do it live. Yeah. It's, I think that's pretty much. That's how to do it. Makes sense, doesn't it? Because they're probably going to put music. I mean, it's just like it's a. I always think, just give yourself something extra. Yeah. I mean, I grade it. Right. Okay. Yeah. I I do sometimes look at the color and go, I could do with being a bit desaturated. Like, because if you're bringing it into like you know premiere, final cut or something, like you know you gotta why not? Yeah. So you were telling me you 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 do genuinely grade your take. Some I have been known to raise exposure. I have been been, hungover. I have been known to uh, have a stand-in, for example. Uh, I have no I mean I have definitely changed colour and stuff occasionally I always boost the sound yes I always boost the so sound so I always double basically yeah. just amplify the sound yeah. so that they can hear me because my, my thing is they're listening on a fucking phone or laptop yeah. and they don't have headphones yeah. and they're probably in a room with other people and they're all chatting over me yeah. so at least compete with them yeah like that's the thing but anyway it's an aside uh, after you after you audition I mean, after you send that self-tape in, do mm-hmm. you go walk a dog and still do the scene? Do you come off out of an audition, get on the tube and find yourself acting into a, uh, a stranger's lap? Like what? No, I, that, I mean, that really, I, 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 I do that when I work. I go home and sometimes, but you know what, maybe I don't anymore. I definitely turn off after I've sent the tape or I've done the audition. That's, it's over for me. But that really depends on how much I want it. Like there was one thing this year I wanted so badly and, I, that, it, and, that, and that they come along once a blue moon. And that, I kept that, kept me up all night, the night after I was done. Like, I found myself wake up in the morning, I was just making coffee, and I was doing it again. There was no point. No one was ever going to see it. So do you think that's the pursuit of getting it right? Is there a positive spin on that? Is there, is there a natural thing inbuilt that's, I want to work this out, I want to understand this, that's actually a healthy thing? Or is it a, is it a self-flagellation? Is it, a, is, it a, is it more healthy, do you think, just to totally bin it and leave it behind? Uh, that's a really good question. I mean... I guess there's arguments for both because you could be going back over something, that an audition that you went to yesterday that maybe you're never going to get and maybe you didn't do the way you wanted to and then realise, oh, hold on, if I if I changed the scene at that moment, I would have popped in a way, oh, I can apply that later. So that's certainly, that's a potential looking forward thing. Do you thing think at the about acting like that? Do you, I mean, do you think... Well, do you, technically do you, it's that. You, but like, as in, do you think, oh, I did that thing and it worked... And so now next time I'll know. All, all I know is what I like, like, the, like what I like in acting and what I feel when I've done it has worked for me. And so therefore I would maybe try and apply that to another audition. And my thinking is always, and sometimes it's a mistake to be like, how can I make this interesting? How, like, how can I make this the most interesting both to me and to the person watching it? And then you look at who they've chosen or who, what they've gone for and you realize, oh, that wasn't that part. They didn't want the guy who was going to come in and like go off piece with the lines and do something a little kooky. They wanted it said because it matters for the plot. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you, 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 you try and apply what you've learned to different things, but that doesn't mean you're applying it to the right stuff. Um, does not hearing back still annoy you? 
Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I just want to know. I just, I, you just want to know, oh, this has gone away. And I, I appreciate, particularly now, when things are trying to be put together and things can fall apart at the last minute and that, that they don't necessarily want to let you go forever, just in case. That, like, maybe you, you know, that whole bullshit, still, you're in the, mix, still in the mix thing. Yeah. Tom's still in the mix. Oh, you're in the mix, right, which basically means, you, you know, you're on a list of people, but they aren't jumping up and it's down about offer. you. Yeah, it's on offer to someone else, and if they don't want it, maybe they'll come back round to you or one of other, another five people. Um, and that not being released uh, in your mind from it, obviously you're released to work if something else better comes up, I think is, can be pretty damaging and pretty tiring, especially if it's something you really want. Because you just you find yourself waking up thinking about it. is today am I going to get the call? Has that gone away? And then eventually you will find that it has gone away. You were in the mix for a long time, you, and then it went away. And no it, one told you. You see the interview with the person who got it in a magazine. Yeah, or you right? read it. Yeah. Oh, this yeah. this has been announced in Deadline or something. This person's been. You're like, oh, okay, cool. Right. Well, that's they not me then. then. Right. Yeah. But I think the minute you start, and I, and I took, this took me a long time, a lot like ten years before I started going. I would never book a holiday. I would never even like say when I was going home for Christmas because I just had to be available. And it took me a long time to go like, you know what, just live your life. And then I always say I'm going, I'm available for shelf tapes. Otherwise do not let me know what I'm missing out on. Yeah. Cause that's the thing is the thing that stops you going on holidays. It's like you'll miss out, but if you don't ever know, yeah. then that's fine. Obviously an agent applies some level of, you know, uh, judgment on, right. Well, this is definitely worth interrupting his one holiday this year for. Yeah. Yeah. And that is the only, it has to be, right? Well, it has to be because no matter, no matter what you do, like I was just moving house recently and I was going through a whole bunch of stuff and there were DVDs on the shelf and programs from plays that to me at the time I was putting everything off in order to do that. I was missing a wedding. I missed a friend's 40th birthday. I missed all this stuff because I had to do this stuff. And now I'm like, oh, it's like a DVD and I vaguely remember doing it. And... I just feel like I'd let a lot of you let relationships and friendships slide in the pursuit of your own fulfillment from something that ultimately won't fulfill you anyway. And that's a, I mean, I, I agree with you, but I, I can see people listening going, that's a really privileged position to be in. Sure. Right. So I know what you mean. And I've let, I've let family members down and we, my wife has done it as well, where you can't go on a stag do. And I hate fucking stag do's anyway. The company of groups of men mm-hmm. fills me with absolute dread. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's a handy excuse for me for sometimes. Yeah, right? for sure. Right. But occasionally it has been genuine where I've, I cancelled my own stag do yeah. for a job, right? Yeah. Because I didn't really want one. Yeah. Right. But <laughs> I mean, but that's the difference. If you had really wanted one, it would, yeah. would you have said like, hey, this is my stag do, this matters to me? I, I, no, I would have cancelled it. You would have cancelled it anyway. Because yeah. it was like at a time in my career where this, a job like that, like when I was doing mattered. Yeah. And now I, I don't know how I'd, how I'd feel about it, but it is a very privileged position to be I, in, but, right? but, but my argument is I don't think it comes from a position of career privilege. That's what I was going to ask. Can that, can that, can that logic be applied across the board? Yeah, th- that has just come from, like, therapy. For me, right. it's come okay. from, like, like four, four, I started going therapy four years ago, and it was suddenly that thing of, like, oh, hold on, you, you are really, you're getting in the way of yourself in order to pursue something. And it has meant, like, just you just st- just like stepping out the way of like enjoying myself because I was trying I was trying so hard every and like I haven't completely freed myself of this either I still have that like no no don't, don't go away don't like what if this is the thing what if it's coming what if it's coming and I have to really give myself a talking to and say but then you're going to miss your best friend's wedding like just just it's okay it's okay to like potentially miss an opportunity even though because like you say if you don't know you're okay 
if you know, then you feel insane. But it was that very much that feeling of, of just trying to realize that I wanted to pursue, um, like my own personal happiness at home and not feel guilty that I was like going to not, you know, going to see my friends or just hanging out on the couch or like being with my family and like, has being more discerning then has that has it, has that had an effect? Do you think on does 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 being more discerning have a positive effect? Is it no. a good thing? I think that really depends on how well you're doing. I, certainly not for me. I haven't been in a position where being discerning has has it, it's hard, isn't it? Because it's always just one job that changes everything. But for me, it's been very much that I've been far pickier than I have any right to be because I want to live my best life with my family. And so when I was in my 20s and going like, oh, I get to go, you know, maybe this job will go to South Africa and that'll be incredibly exciting and I'll get to travel in South Africa. And now I think like, oh, I'll be away from my family and friends for a long time. Uh, that, you know, that, that, that's, that scares me, that bothers me. I don't want to do that. I don't want to miss up moments yeah. with my family. What do you think is the hardest part of being an actor? What do people normally say to that? People say things like the financial insecurity. Yeah. People say things like uh, the, the stress on personal relationships. Um, the mental stress generally of constant rejection plus financial insecurity plus relationships plus mm-hmm. well i mean that, I, that, you're right like it's a cacophony of different things and they all play a part in like the whole maelstrom of like why it can be extremely difficult and the thing that like what have you found to be de- the most difficult thing to kind of because it seems like it, I, I imagine after four years of talking about it with someone having you develop coping mechanisms you so do are there I, still things that you still find difficult I, I, I uncertainty like I, I struggle with that feeling of like, I, I like I'm very reticent to spend money. I'm very reticent to like go out and I go out there and like go. Okay, well this is this is this is I'm I'm good. I can like think I I don't need to worry about the next job. I can like enjoy this for a bit. I can't. I I've struggled with being in the present, and that's been where the coping mechanism of, of therapy has come from. Where I, what I was talking about before about learning to go like you know what be in the present like just enjoy this. Go to the wedding. Don't worry about the next job. Don't worry about this. I find myself constantly flitting to that place of like yeah, but is this the right thing? And it's that. That just never goes away. The hope that that will go away the higher you climb up the rung uh, is like the, the, the pursuit of those higher rungs in order to fulfill the part of you that feels like it's missing. It's never going to happen. I've got friends, like Oscar nominee friends, who still have exactly the same things on a, the very same, on a level. And I've got people doing fringe theatre who feel exactly the same way and everything's relative to where they are. So the notion that just getting up that next one is going to sort it it's like you want to go, trust me, I've seen people who've like sat there staring at their awards going like, I'm so miserable. So it's fine. So for me, the coping mechanism was stepping outside of the industry and stepping outside of it and going like, what is in the real world that is going to make me feel content? Yeah. An actor in an interview said to me once, an interview that hasn't yet gone out, said they sat down and realized at a certain moment, they sat down and realized they would never be happy 
And that was the moment at which they started therapy. Yeah. And it was because they weren't allowing themselves to well, that's, engage. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm saying. Exactly. I think you, you, yeah, you, you can only be happy if you sit back and go, oh, okay, things are all right. Right now, I'm okay. The minute you're going like, I'm okay, but what could be better? So the unknown thing's interesting because it implies an anxiety, right? So mm-hmm. um, I've only recently, I think because we have, we're better at naming these things, I've only recently realized that I suffer badly from anxiety. I mean, yeah. I keep having to remind myself that we're doing okay. Yeah. Because left alone, and this is the problem with, t- with going to hotels and working, right? Left alone, <laughs> I will think, not the world is going to end. It's not that level of anxiety, but it's going to be like, it's like when things are going good, I knew it was a problem because when things are going well, yeah, I have this weird thing that took me a long time to place it, a weird unease. Yeah. And I've only recently realized the unease is I think something must be about to go wrong. Yeah. And I think that's partly because I spent my adult life waiting for other people to tell me you can work now yeah. or, or, you know, you're good at what you do yeah. or we like you and we'd like to, you know, we'd like yeah. to hire you, you, you know, all those things. And I just wonder like, is, is the kind of great wisdom from pretty much all of these interviews is the great, is the great wisdom acting doesn't matter or that actors somehow have become this weird thing where we think our job's more important than it is. Or I think that's we, definitely true. We make it more important to ourselves yeah, I, I, than we should. I think because of exactly what you're saying about that, waiting for other people to scratch our backs and say, you're good at this and we want you and we're ready for you. And also, it, there is a certain rarefied like, magic to it that people, people who don't do it sort of can't quite understand what it is, this alchemical kind of display of that entertains us and is like they're tapping into something that other people can't quite get their hands on and what's this about? And, and if you buy into that too much personally, you're digging your own grave because we're very good at putting on people's dead hair and like doing voices and it's important to do your job well. But in, as in the case with every job, it's just important not to tr- take it too seriously and take yourself too seriously. Yeah. And I feel like that that can be, it's certainly something that we, that actors get called out on. And it's the cliche of the lovey and the, they, they've all got this code with each other and it's all very highfalutin and um, different to the, the man on the street. And it's not... Once You've got a really good way of, of it's not self-deprecating because I think self-deprecating is almost, it's almost become a, a criticism. Like uh-huh. people say you're self-deprecating. It means like you're looking for us to, you've got a really good way of undermining the nature of the business by say on Twitter, posting about something you're doing, but managing to say something very funny and, and kind of making, making it all just appear silly. That to me seems like a really healthy thing to do because one of the things that this came out of was me looking around at my own tweets, at other people's tweets and Instagram posts and thinking, we're all just bullshitting each other. This is a tissue of lies. Mm -hmm. Was there a previous version of you that was more, I guess, playing that game of PR, PR, PR? No. No, Have you always been like that? I've always, I've always, I, I don't know what it is in me that has like a healthy disregard for people taking themselves too seriously in any walk of life. But it was what led me to therapy itself was the fact that I knew that's how I felt. But at the same time, there was something in me 
that wanted to not be that. I wanted to step it, like stop saying, why are you burying success? Why are you hiding? Why are you trying to, to, to not trumpet things that you've done well? And when I'm talking to people, I realized that it was because my best friend's a, a reconstructive burn surgeon, plastic surgeon. I have friends, all my friends from university have gone into proper is right? But like, what it's very Wister. hard for me to go in and like, oh, this actor we had him today couldn't remember his lines. And he says, yeah, I put a baby's face back on. Like you kind of, it was, it's all that sort of, I, I've always been surrounded by a group of friends who've been, who've taken what I do with an absolute pinch of salt. Um, and and I guess that's been very good. They've all had a very similar sense of humor. We've all been able to laugh at ourselves and each other. And I've also had, a, like, whenever I do see people going out of their way to, like, say, it's also because I want to shout when people, like, put up a picture of themselves and they've all got glammed up and they're going and thinking, like, Look, here I am at this thing. I want to go, no, what are you talking about? Like, this isn't your, this Instagram life you're projecting isn't your real life. None of this is your real life. It's what you want your real life to be and what you want people to think your real life to be. But why can't we all just hold our hands up and go, we're all fucking getting out of bed in the morning and we're all taking a shit on the toilet backwards with our dressing gowns on. Like, why, you know, why can't we just, like, all just say we're in this together? It's an essential thing, I think, for actors. That's the problem. I heard a story two days ago from an actor who told me another actor who's remained nameless, who's on the telly a bit, Took took down his Instagram, and his manager says, "Get the Instagram back up." Mm -hmm. We were just in a. a I I lost a job last year because of Instagram followers. Um, I was I was it was the shortlist. It was right down to the end. It was like in the negotiations, and I got sent. Will you please send over his Instagram followers the list of how many of them are verified, their reach, Twitter followers? I was like, "What? No, don't do that." And then I read in Deadline two days later, they'd gone someone else with two million Instagram followers. That's like, the oh, game, that's, right? That's the game. But there, there is that thing of like, if you are in like a mid-range Instagram thing, it's like, well, keeping it up isn't helping. Particularly, I don't know if I'm going to leap up to the, or like, should I get rid of it? But that doesn't help. I, it's, it's a whole new version of hustling that we didn't have to do before. Um, but I'm, this is the funny thing about it. And this is what I really, you say, you know, it's a good strategy it's a good strategy for me mentally to be like that on Instagram. But I am told time and time again, you should be posting more and you should be doing more behind the scenes and going to more events and getting likes and maybe, you know, like doing something on a, on when you're on holiday on a vacation island because that goes well and taking pictures of your food because that these whole like bullshit Instagram strategies yeah. that I just, everything about it makes my skin crawl. I heard about an agency bringing actors in with a social media expert to uh, teach them how to get their best out of their social media presence. Yeah. And what, what I... <laughs> I just, uh, part of me, an idealist of me wants to believe that that shit's not necessary, even though I know truthfully it is. Yeah. And I've worked with actors and you see them going, oh, can you take a photograph here behind the scenes? It'll just be useful whenever it comes out. And you're thinking, God, I'm not even, I can't think like that. Yeah. I can't, I find it hard enough to be present and enjoy things anyway without yeah. the added, th added pressure of thinking in six months time, what photographs are going to go down well on Instagram? I know. Yeah. I remember the a series I did where they were very, be socially socially relevant and I took like behind the scenes like you say like behind the scenes photos that I would like they wanted me to put one out weekly and the countdown to the show and it, again it's what you were saying earlier about 
actors and thinking we're important and being very self-absorbed with the whole thing. It's the same across the board with the industry because if you create this bubble around you, I've been on shows whereby as long as you're getting all these tweets out and you're talking about it and you are obviously following those tweets and you're following about that show and you're reading interviews yeah, about that show, as far as you're concerned, the whole world is in, in, in on it and then you speak to someone in the street who's like, never heard of it. And it's very essence, that's a problem. Like, yeah, oh, that's, that's, yeah, of course. That's, that's the problem. Right? Yeah. Well, it's that thing about like when costume puts an umbrella over you, making the mistake of thinking it's for you and it's for your clothes. Yeah. yeah. Or making the mistake of thinking you're getting picked up because you're important, but you're getting picked up because they don't trust you or public transport. That's true. Yeah. Or, you know, yeah, so much of that. Yeah. So much of it. But it is, the, the, all that stuff still feels designed if you're a self-absorbed person to think like, well, this is it. I'm important. I'm getting chauffeured to set. I've got an umbrella over me. I'm getting my food first. Like, it's not, it's not too strange that you'd think, oh, well, I matter. I matter more than the other people who don't get these things, these luxuries. Like uh, you can see where if you are already predisposed to be narcissistic and self-absorbed anyway, then all those things are going to do is help build more bricks on that wall. Joe's uh, is acting hard. Yeah. Has acting itself gotten easier with time? What? The, the process yeah. of acting? Um that really depends on what, on, on what you choose to do or what you're lucky enough to get to do and whether or not it presses buttons that you have previously not pressed or chosen not to press. So as in, it's very easy to fall into like the things that you know work and be like, well, this is something I know I can do well. I'm going to fall back on that in a scene or I'm going to fall back on that in a scene. At which point, yeah, that's pretty easy. But are you doing your best work? Probably not. If you're able to go like, I'm going to push the boundaries of what I've done before and try something new, that's when it's harder. But it's also harder to, as, and then it becomes harder to allow, to get people who will allow you to do that because you've fallen into a typecast role elsewhere. It's, it's, does that make sense? Mm, yeah. Um, I guess, yeah. It's, it's, it's what, how you choose to bring the experience to bear or whether you choose yeah. to bring experience. Because it's very, you see like well, even the greatest to. actors who were, pushing the boundaries of what was expected of acting in the 70s or 80s, like phoning it in now and taking the paycheck. And they were the people who reinvented what acting was, like the whole method stuff in the, you know, looking at Robert De Niro in the 70s and 80s. Who are the actors you look up to them? Who are the people you think, if I could be that kind of actor? um, I'm I'm always far more impressed by people who... Maybe not impress is the wrong word because they're very different things, but I find I'm, I'm more absorbed by and drawn into performances where people completely shed themselves of artifice and let you see right into their eyes than I am by people putting on a prosthetic nose and an accent and chewing up scenery. I'm always sort of, I always, I mean, I've said this before, but there's, Paul Giamatti in Sideways, there's a moment towards the end of that film where he's told that his wife, I think, is having a new baby. And you see right in the back of his eyes, his whole world fall apart. And uh, in Transparent, Catherine Hahn gets some bad news and she gets a neck rash. And that's like she is feeling that so strongly that the actor herself begins to like blush in the way she would if she were if it was real life. Those are the moments that I 
strive for. And that gets in my way. Like I, when I'm trying to act, I find myself wanting to do such. Which is the exact opposite of what those things require. Right? Yeah. You want, you, yeah. Want, you want to be so small sometimes that I'll be like, and especially in a self-tape, I'll be like, God, don't do too much. Don't do too much. Don't do too much. And I'll watch it back and go, you've done fuck all. Like no one can see anything there. And also they're watching it in a window yeah. on a 14 inch screen. Yeah. It's the other thing you're acting for a format, which is it's actually not the format you're, you're yeah. going to be working in. Yeah. Usually. Yeah. Um, has the process of dealing with acting gotten easier with time? I mean, it comes back to the, the kind of stuff we're talking about, I guess. Um, I've got better at dealing with rejection. Um, I have, uh, I mean, I've uprooted my life in the last three or four years, which has changed the, everything about what I do because I'm not in the country for a lot of the time because I've married an American and then I'm there out in LA and it's sort of like starting again. Um, and so I, I'm having two two experiences at the same time where I come back here and it's very much like, oh, this is what I'm used to and I kind of know how this works. And then I go out there and go, oh no, I don't know what I'm doing here. I've got to... So I would say if I, was, if I had just stayed here for the last four years, I would go, yes, I've got, I've, got that. I've got a handle on this now. But instead I've like upended everything that I thought I knew. And now I'm like, I don't know where I am, to be honest. So it's fair to say over here then you, you have achieved a certain status within the industry as in you're playing leads, right? In, in telly, right? <laughs> Over there, it's been difficult because you've had to start again because that stuff's less important over there? Or I mean, I played a lead out there for three or four years, but in a show that didn't necessarily take off in the way that everyone was hoping it would. So it's that sort of, that strange place of being like, well, I feel like maybe I should do another one of those. And the industry's going, well, we don't know if you should, <laughs> actually. Yeah. Like, I'm glad you think that, but come on. Um, but at the same time, like wanting to hold out for that. I was listening to a podcast, uh, Adam Buxton's podcast with Simon yeah, Pegg, right. and he was talking very much about how the process should matter more than the product. And I think, you know, again, from uh, is what you were saying, it depends very much on the subjectivity of the listener. That for me, that could sound very much like career privilege to say something like that. But mm -hmm. for someone like him, of course that's how he feels because he is able to pick and choose the things that may take him away from his family or otherwise and the job process has to be good enough in order to um, make it worthwhile. And I, regardless of where I am in my career, that's definitely how I feel now. And that's what's been hard in the States, not wanting to take those jobs that will mean, oh, I, go, I have to move to Detroit for seven years to like be number 10 or 11 on a call sheet and work two days a week and then spend the rest of the time like wandering around Detroit and seeing and trying not to drink the water. Like in Panorizan. In Panorizan. But like it's, it's, it's that thing of being like, I have to, I have to, I have to I, the, the process has to feel right for me to like make the big thing out there. And I'm not sure America is prepared to go like, well then here's the perfect process for you. Has, has being unemployed gotten easier with time I guess knowing you have something down the line means something knowing you have something down the line is everything like I, I'm I'm I am useless at even going on like, I mean it goes back to what I was saying earlier but like going on vacation holiday apologies going on holiday and feeling like I don't know if I deserve this yet like and I've got better at it but there is still it's definitely easier when you know that there's a job coming up in a few months to be able to sit back. What's the longest you've gone without working in your whole career, do you uh, think? Eight to ten months. How does that feel? At, at the point just before you find out it's going to end, does it get to the point where you think, ah, this is done for me? I've had, that's, my, that's been my moment. There it goes, my career sailing off into the sunset. 
Yeah. I mean, you think that all the time. I think that during jobs. I think this is the job that ends my career, or this was the that now I'm not working. It's it's this is like people have seen through me. Like they, people have I've been discovered. Yeah, and that's they've realised it's not that, that, that I, it's not that I shouldn't be doing this, and prob- they're probably right. Yeah. But do you get to the point where you personally go, "I'm I'm done"? What have I, I, have I ever wanted to quit? Yeah. Yeah, many times. Recently? Yeah. And how far does it get? Oh, like, because, well, no, because here's the thing with me, right? I thought this series was going to be me talking to actors and in between times. Or at the end of the episode, I had a psychologist lined up. Yeah. And we were going to talk about whether or not I, I should give up acting. Right. I, I, at the start of this process a year and a half ago, I was like in probably the biggest moment of transition. Yeah. We were thinking about moving out of London. I was like 38 at this point, 37, whatever, and thinking... Right, if you don't leave now, it's gonna to be too late. Yeah. It probably already is. Make up your mind. And so this like I I and then of course you get a bit of work, you feel a bit more confident, opportunities come and go, whatever, but you feel like actually, do you know what? Part of it is as I, I tweeted the other day, I was feeling terrible the other day about it. I said it's either ego or laziness that keeps me in this. I can't work out which. Yeah. So I'm like either it's because I can't admit to my family and friends that I I'm, I'm an actor who gave up. I, get, yeah. I know inside I don't want to be an actor who gave up. Yeah. I don't want to be introduced to dinner parties as to... He used to be an he, actor. Jonathan used to be an actor. Yeah. I, that, that makes me just... And it's not like I feel like part of me will die if I don't act. It's just like... I, that, that would be hard. I would find that really difficult. Well, I mean, that's ego. Totally, that's yeah. ego. And then part of it is also like... Yeah, well, you know, like if I want to do something else, I have to go back to training for two years. Yeah. And... Which is laziest. Right? Yeah, so, so it's, it's kind of a bit of both. <laughs> right? Um, yeah. But so what, what is it that gets you then? Why would, why would, because here's the thing as well, we're talking about subjective listeners. Somebody listening, you know, like, and I don't think you'll, you'll be upset if I say, it's a beautiful home, right? Um, when I worked with you, I was coming in as a day player on something where you were the, the, the lead. And some people would go like, but why would, why would Tom want to give up acting? <laughs> well, I think, I mean, there are very, very few people, I think, who, I mean, you were saying this earlier, that everyone, every, like, where their career is, isn't necessarily where they hoped it would be or where they wanted it to be or where they hope it will go next, regardless of where you are on that rung. I am not doubting for a second that, uh, like, that I have been very lucky and I get a great deal of joy out of it but that is also to say there are times where even when I'm working I think I'm not this is this is this isn't turning out how I wanted it to be I'm not proud as proud of this as I wish I was I wish this could be better I wish I could be better um and and maybe it's better if like maybe if I stop doing this my mind will still a little bit. Maybe I, if I find something else that just like is a simpler job that has some certainty to it, that doesn't mean I have to deal with all those things we were talking about earlier, maybe then I'll be able to be content. And, and likewise, when, so you know, what, you, why don't you, why don't I, why haven't um, you? That is very much, that, that is such a good question. It's a similar thing to you, sir. I think it is that, like, I don't want to have 
if, if I gave this up, it would want to have been on my own terms or because I found something else that I was better at. And that's why I said, oh, I didn't want to do that anymore, rather than like they didn't want me to do it anymore. Other people didn't want me to do it anymore, so I stopped. Um, would you miss it? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. But the truth is, truth is also that when it does, when you have those days where you come home and go, that was, that was incredible. And There's nothing happen. like it. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes it can just be in a rehearsal. You have a great rehearsal period for something or you're really getting on with the other people and you have a breakthrough and you like see the world differently as well as the play because of something that happened in a room. Then that's when you go, oh, okay, that's what this is about. But, and I think this comes from no matter how well you're doing, if you do a job for long enough, as you have been and I have been, there is an element of it where I've seen this before. This hasn't come off. Like I put this out there and no one's watched it or the reviews have been horrible and I'm in that cycle again. That's going to happen no matter where you are in the thing. You're still going to feel like that element of like, okay, I'm going to work. Like that. I mean, I read a thing with Robert Downey Jr. who was talking about how when there's like, a, so I think it might be a fire alarm on the Avengers set and even though he's doing the greatest job in the world and he loves it so much, the fact he can put down tools and go, hey, I think we've got the afternoon off. It's like, you know, he's, he's still wanting yeah, to go like... Yeah, of course. Yeah. I think that's brilliant. I think that's human nature. Like, yeah. That's getting off school early, right? Yeah. Like that is, it's... It, yeah. Because jo- at the end of the day, it's a job. And if you wouldn't rather be with your family, then there's something wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, yeah, that's exactly it. And, and it, but it t- took me a very long time. It took me getting a family. It took me getting, it, getting my head out of the game somewhat and realizing, oh, I don't want to miss these moments day to day that made me realize, oh, this is what it's, this is what it's about. Like, this is where my, this is what my priority should be. And every day that it's not, I'm probably doing life wrong. Um, okay. This has been a great chat. Um, I purposely didn't really bother with my, questions because my normal questions because I kind of know them well enough now but also I felt like I wanted it to go where it was going at times which is why now in the past 10 minutes you see me kind of go is there anything massive that I've left out and I don't I don't think there is but it's been a lot of stuff here about acquired wisdom probably you'd feel uncomfortable with but getting coping mechanisms coping mechanisms of how to get through this without taking so much out of you along mm-hmm. the way or without it stopping you enjoying other things if you were to i asked earlier if you'd received advice from other actors i don't know if you're the kind of actor who gives other people advice but if you were to give yourself advice when you started out so coming out of drama school um or even more recently than that even you know four years ago before you started going to therapy, for example, mm-hmm. what kind of nuggets would be at the top of the list? What kind of things would, would be the headlines if you were offering advice to a younger version of yourself at any point? A younger version of myself. That's such a good question. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, because something about giving people advice, you say we need advice for young actors is such yeah. a shit question as yeah. well. Because it becomes, I think it becomes naturally then dispassionate. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, that's kind of like general, but actually you know where you were. Yeah. You know the things that stopped you and got in your way. So that's why I think it's a better, it's a more interesting proposition. You see the advice, it's funny because the advice that I would give is advice that, I ended up learning myself through the process of 
of therapy since, but it would be very much don't give everything. Like do not, do not put your health at risk. Do not put your home life and relationships at risk just in order to achieve something um, through your position in the industry or your position as an actor because it won't there is there you will not get to a place where you will feel okay so don't you know I, I did a job where I had to like lose so much weight and 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 not eat and not um and like work and I, and I stayed up all night working because they allowed me to edit it and do script work and I, I cared so much everything went by the wayside and I got physically ill. I mean, like I was, I was, I had, I passed out. I had like full panic attacks and anxiety attacks. And it took me getting to that stage to realize you, you, nothing's worth this. Like it doesn't, you know, even if you were, you, you can't be as good at the job as you want to be if you are driving yourself into the ground in order to be so. It just isn't going to happen. And that would count not just to be an actor. If you were an international diplomat and doing a real job, like you, you know, you, you still wouldn't be the best at your job if you were doing this. So I would just say, take your your own foot off your neck. Like just you're you're okay. Like just like allow yourself some space to just. Just accept it and just roll with it and stop trying to cling onto the controls of the plane because you don't know how to fly it. What would your younger self say to that? Fuck you. Remind granddad. you. What do you think you've lost touch with that, that you had whenever you started doing this thing? That maybe your younger actor self would go, mm. yeah, yeah, that's fine, Tom. Good advice. Thanks very much. But you don't forget. He'd probably say, don't, don't forget to try and like, there's, there's always, there's going to be joy in everything. Don't go into something assuming there isn't. Don't go into something going like, okay, well, this is a job that you've got to do and it isn't quite what you would like. Like, remember that it's, it's what you love and what you love doing and what, like, and what, what kept you afloat through school, what kept you afloat through university was doing this job. So like, don't lose track of the fact that it, that it mattered to you then and it kept your it kept you from having your head flushed down the toilet by the bigger boys. So like keep enjoying it if you can. Um would your younger self be happy with where you've got to? Would well that's, that's the thing that I, yeah. I mean my younger self wouldn't believe that where I've got it would it would you know, there are the people that I've, I've been lucky enough to meet and places that I've been lucky enough to be it was far beyond what a guy. I found this book the other day that I wrote in when I was 13, a journal that my parents gave me that was like, fill in, answer all these questions about where you're going to be at age 40. And I'd written, Amazing. I hope I'm going to be a successful actor, but I probably won't be. And like, I'll probably be uh, as normal as anybody on my street and I won't leave this town. And there are other stuff. It, throughout the book, it was full of like, you just have to accept your place and you're going to stay in Maidstone forever. And it was a very odd thing for a 13-year-old to have. Or another 13-year-old so are like, strange. I'm going to be an astronaut. So Whereas strange. I was like, you know, check yourself. Check yourself. And which is such an odd thing to do at 13. But so like to be able to well, go I mean, to I can see how that guy becomes the guy who tweets... Yeah. Self-deprecating, or right? the guy who steps on his own neck and goes like, "Come on, don't you know? You, you know, you got to get this right. Like, this is a chance. Like, get, yeah, don't fuck this up." And so I go back and just you know say like, "It's okay. You you, you don't need to be quite so. You don't need to put yourself in a box." 
that's a great thing. Uh, that must be kind of joyous, but, but odd, odd to to look at and yeah, kind of. It was very weird. I only found it like a month ago. Put in context as well, yeah. right? Yeah. Finally, uh-huh. uh, because this is where it came out of. Are you in anything at the minute, Tom? I'm Riley? in a show with a young whippersnapper actor called Jonathan Harden. Yeah, I think um, I hear he steals episode four. Is it? He is in episodes three and four. Oh, really? Yeah, Excellent. he is. Uh, Excellent. Doing his act, doing an accent. Dark heart. Dark heart. It's on tomorrow or whenever this is, two months ago. <laughs> Be sure to check it out in yeah. the past. Yeah. Be sure to watch it tomorrow, four weeks ago, please. Listen, uh, it's been a pleasure. really has. Um, How I much could, of this am I going to regret? Uh, none. Because, okay. you know, I mean, I could see moments where you were going, like, there was one moment in particular where it was about giving up and you were like, yeah. But you know what I mean? The whole point of this is, I think every, these things are, are basically what unites us. And you were talking about that. You said, can we not all just agree that we're all going through this together? And that's kind of the point of this is like, everybody must. Yeah, you've got to. You've, you've got, got to have to, those right? moments. And also, you know, I get them sometimes that last a day and sometimes they last three months and yeah. sometimes they last a year. But like, it's because we're not in control of it as well. Yeah. Like, you know, if you were in control, like, would you give up acting, right? And you think, oh yeah, yeah, I think I, I thought about it. And then you say, when you if you won the lottery, You'd set up a company. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you well, know that's what when I, mean? I realized. I was like, oh, maybe. So do you I know what wouldn't. I mean? Like, yeah. it's, it's because you don't have control. What yeah. you want to give up is yeah. not having control. No, exactly. You want to give up not knowing what's next and not having any say in it. That's what you want. So to that's give up. now in the podcast as a caveat for the previous thing. So you're in the clear. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much. Thanks, man. Cheers. And that's that for episode four. Episode five will be with you in a very short while. All that remains for me to do is remind you that if you haven't already shared your favourite bits of this podcast using the hashtag Best of Honest Actors, it would be very much appreciated if you could do that now. Take 30 seconds to rate or review the podcast, send a tweet and then put your phone down and go and tell someone. I really do appreciate everything that you do to promote the podcast on my behalf. So please continue. And if you haven't done it for a little while, maybe it's time to dust off your positivity and put it back out there. Anyway, until next time, that's it from me. Speak to you soon. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.